You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer podcast. Let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin. Hold me down. down. Welcome to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast, and I'm your host Greg E.L.V. Culture Change Agent. On this show, we interview young, successful minorities in a variety of fields to educate, empower, and inspire our current and future generation leaders. And as always, i got a show for you today. I'm going to read a snippet of her bio because I'm telling you, I scoured the net. She had about like five or six, seven different bios. Some of them were a couple pages long. Some of them are paragraphs. So I found a one that's right in the sweet spot. I'm going to read a snippet of it, and we're going to jump right into the show. So her professional background includes Fortune 500 companies like Google, Nestle, Target, and most recently Amazon. Her diverse professional experience and passion for leadership development, employee engagement, and retention allows her to help people with everything from resume reviews to career consultations. She specializes in new grads, early to mid-career professionals, coaching for new managers, and interview preparation, and she makes sure she takes a one-on-one approach to coaching so she can provide a tailor-made experience for each unique client. She has an undergraduate degree in business management and is currently pursuing a Master of Science in Human Resources. And when she is not studying or coaching, she manages a lifestyle blog dedicated to sharing her experience traveling the world and navigating her own career. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Jasmine Thera to the Minority Troubles podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited about this. No, nah, I'm super excited to learn and grow. I mean, I was reading a little bit of your Medium blog and I was like, yo, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to a real big meech over here. Fellow Aguilar, <laughs> big meech, corporate housing, all this good stuff. So I'm just, I'm blessed for you to be on the show. I know. And I feel like this has been kind of like a long time coming. Like you and I have chatted about this for a while. So I'm happy we're finally able to connect. Yeah, I, I am too. I'm glad. I'm glad I get grace from a lot of people as well, because I feel like that's a common thing. Everybody's been on the show. It's like, it's been a long time coming. It's been a long time coming. It's been pump face, it's been roadblocks and the emails, it's been all this stuff, but you're here today and I appreciate that. So before we jump into the show, we always have to kind of set the mood, set the tone, set the theme of the show. We have our guest here with our audience, a quote that they live by and a story about how they apply that quote to your everyday life. So Jasmine, take us away. Sure. All right. So I feel like actually one of my favorite quotes comes from a poem by Robert Frost. Um, and that poem is called The Road Not Taken. But Essentially, it's the last snippet of that poem, the last line that says, two roads diverged in a wood and I took the the road less traveled by and that has made all the difference. And I honestly feel like that poem has stuck with me, gosh, probably since I was like in middle school. Um, And I really think it's just a testament for kind of how I choose to navigate my life and my career. I think a lot of times like 
you know, folks will try to put you in a box and tell you how you have to kind of like move in a certain way, the types of roles and opportunities that are predestined for you. But I've always figured like, I have to chart my own path and I have to kind of start my own journey. And that's essentially how I think I've also broken into to HR. You know, I, I obviously went to A&T, but I studied business management. And at the time, we didn't even have an HR major in undergrad, but I just knew that, that that's what I was supposed to do. And so I kind of feel like by sitting down with like, you know, Dean Craig at the time and kind of like chatting with some mentors at the time, I was able to really kind of like chart my own path and figure out how I was going to land in HR um, once I graduated. And so I, I definitely feel like my entire career has been um, definitely a nice reflection of that poem of just continually choosing the road that's less traveled by to make my own path for myself. Mm, I love that. And um, I, w- I, w- I would be remiss if I didn't ask, is there a specific story within the last couple months that you can can look to that that quote directly applies to? Gosh, yes, I'm sure. Well, actually, <laughs> oh yeah. So, um, I mean, this is definitely not something that I've shared with everyone, but um, so yeah. So I uh, recently just finished my first year um, in my master's program at USC studying HR, and um, you know, I basically felt like the program. It's definitely a really good program, and I, I definitely would highly recommend it to a lot of folks. But you know, maybe about a couple months or so back, I was just kind of going back and forth whether or not this particular program was the best suited for me in terms of what I wanted to do. And when I look at like some of my kind of mentors and folks that are higher up in HR, a lot of them do have um, their master's in HR. And essentially, that's why I wanted to pursue it. I felt like I was going to have a better seat at the table if I was able to get that and check that off my list, you know, uh, before 30. That was kind of my goal. And I basically decided to make a pretty tough decision to take a break from school. And so I recently made that decision. And so now I'm taking, you know, about a year off to kind of just regroup and figure out what it is that I want to do next. And I know it's unconventional and I feel like a lot of folks are, you know, kind of just telling me like, you know, we're supportive of that decision, but we kind of feel like, you know, once you take a step back, like you may not ever pursue it again, or it may reflect poorly on you. And I kind of just feel like, you know, I think that God has had his hand on my career for a long time. And I feel like, um, I know it's going to work out. And I know that, you know, it may temporarily let a few people down that I've decided to take a step back. But I just have a feeling that I'm going to be listening to this podcast like a year from now. <laughs> and I'm going to be laughing that this was something that I was actually stressed about and troubled over because I just know that it's going to work out wherever I land next, um, whether it be educational, career-wise, or whatever opportunity um, comes into fruition for me. Um, I just know that, you know, it, it's going to work out in the end. Although, you know, this is definitely going to be a slight detour in my career. Mm-hmm. So if you if you mind sharing, was there a, a key reason why you chose the route? Because, I mean, I know you're smart. I know you, you're Aggie. I know you're very, very smart. I, I, I doubt the classes were that challenging. <laughs> um, we're, we're, I mean, not to say that, not to, not to dismiss human resources, but mm-hmm. I doubt it was an academic thing. Is, was yeah. there anything specifically that you just didn't feel right at the time um, mm-hmm. about doing that? Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, I feel like 
one of the things that, you know, we really glorify for folks that are like hustlers and entrepreneurs and, and folks that are out here climbing the ranks is just like, you just got to keep going. You got to, you know, keep moving and you have to take on, you know, three, four, five different things at one time. And the reality is, is like, you know, all of us, you know, are essentially not, we're not super man, we're not super woman, we're not, you know, superheroes. And there's no way that you can go out here and be perfect in every single thing, especially when you're doing multiple things and wearing multiple hats at one time. Mm-hmm. And I think what it really came down to is um, I definitely strive, you know, to, to do my best. And I definitely didn't find the curriculum to be challenging, but I also wasn't finding it to be fulfilling either. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what it really also boiled down to is like when I really took a look at like whether or not I was actually practicing self-care, I just wasn't. And so I was really like just feeling really, really burnt out. And so when I actually had to think about the things that mattered the most to me when I actually prioritized them, like school, I was like, you know, for me, like this is something that I definitely want to do. I think it'll be an awesome resume booster, but in, in, in due time, like in the right time and maybe right now is not the right time for me. You know, everything else in my career is, is moving quickly. It's going very well. And so I don't want to jeopardize that. And I also don't want to play around with student loans. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, that's basically kind of like a culmination of the, the thoughts that were in my head at that time when I decided to make that decision. Uh, first and foremost, <laughs> I just want to uh, say that's a, that's a very bold decision, but I'm glad um, that you made and you going with, going going was felt right to you at the time. And I, I do want to say and ask, at what point in your career did you did you start to kind of tend to making decisions on based off kind of your own personal beliefs rather than what you should do? And I know like to give some context, because, you know, when you first start your career, it's really based off, OK, leverage. And OK, I know I need to make this chess move to do this, to do that. And then some people reach it earlier in their career. Some people make it left. Some people never reach it to the point where it's like, hold up, this just don't feel right. And I know it makes a lot of sense to do it, but it don't make sense for me. Like, like for me personally, where I'm at right now, and that's a big decision. And I think that uh, uh, it's kind of like stepping up for yourself. You feel me? And and not just doing it because definitely, I'm going to be real, when you're black, and you're making these bold, these decisions. You know, when people invest a lot of time in you, they believe in you. They're pushing you. Like your mentors, like, yeah, you need to do this, hit this X, Y, and Z. And you have to go to them and be like, yo, this is not the vision for my life. So what gave you the confidence to be able to make that decision? Because there's people that are listening right now that may be in a point in their career, maybe in a major they don't want, maybe in a career they don't want, a role. They're doing something in their life right now. It's something that is on a path. When they know in a in a spirit is not where they need to be, but they're struggling with making that decision. What would you tell them? Oh my gosh, I've probably made those types of decisions a few times in my. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, you know, I think like one. I feel like a lot of times we want to go the safe route. We want we want to go where we're comfortable, and I feel like I've had a lot of points in my career where I've been very uncomfortable, and those are the moments when I think I've had the most growth. I think I've been challenged in ways that. I would have never predicted and they've always benefited me in the long run. So I almost feel like, you know, sometimes the scariest option is probably the option that you should take. Um, And I also feel like, you know, if I just look back to, gosh, like if I'm just thinking back to like just 2015, um, you know, I was working in manufacturing at that time, still in HR, 
but I had a very good role. I loved, you know, you know, working for, you know, Nestle at that time. I had really strong mentors and I really had like a plan in place and I could see kind of how my career could grow at that company. But when I did kind of like my own sanity check, I was like, this isn't like something that I get excited about every day. It's not something that, you know, motivates me every morning. It's just more of like a safe bet. It's given me the foundation that I need to do well in HR. But if I really want to be the best, I feel like I need to be working with some of those change agents in HR. And for me, some of those leaders in my field were working in the technology industry. Mm-hmm. And so at that time, I just decided like, hey, I'm, I'm going to leave this good job, this safe job where you know I feel like I do have a future and I'm just going to cast my net out and, and take a risk and try to, you know, immerse myself in the tech industry, which which is actually kind of scary. It's also challenging not being in a tech role to, to try and make that move. But it was definitely worth it. And I mean, you fall, you're going to fall a few times. Like, I can be honest, like when I first decided to make that decision, I landed at a company that was like absolutely just crazy. <laughs> uh, I, I wasn't even there for six months, but um, you know, th- those types of opportunities also just like help to ground you and just really help you to solidify like, okay, like, yes, I want to work in the tech industry, but you know, what type of company do I want to work for? What are their morals and values? You know, what is their, you know, five year, 10 year plan look like their growth trajectory, <laughs> like things like that. It really made me kind of hone in on some of my decision making um, skills. And so I think people just have to not be afraid to fall and, and not, not be afraid of failure, but also trust that like, if you're willing to put yourself outside of your comfort zone and step outside of your own will, like there's an opportunity that you could really surprise yourself in terms of what type of success is waiting for you in that other path or behind that other door. Dope. I love that. I love that. So I want to give the audience a snippet of where we're going to go. We're actually going to change what I shared with you last time because I, I want to stay kind of where we're at. Um, but I'm excited because this podcast, we're going to be able to dig deep into kind of professionally what you do, what you've experienced, what you've learned, um, as well as your industry. But also, too, talking about uh, not what you, I'm not going to call what you do on your side, but how, how do you manifest your skill set outside of work? Boom. I don't like side hustles sound like real because anytime I think of side hustle, I think of side chick. Like I, I like I like rather it's like skill set you're manifesting outside of the workplace. Boom. And as far as what you do in the career coaching space and aspect right. and helping people fulfill and match with their strengths with the jobs, because I know so many people out there that don't really know how strong they really are. I read actually I read a post that uh, from a young, for a lady. I'm not going to say. From, yeah, from a lady that um, that you helped out with a career. You said one thing that you helped her do was really identify where her strengths were, as well as identify her story and how she can kind of leverage that in order to get into the career she really wanted to do. So I'm excited to talk about that. However, let's jump to present day real quick. Present day. Um, One, how did you even get into HR? Why is HR something that you really, really care about? Because I'll be honest, some, some people that are not in the HR space, we think of HR, all we think about is the person that if we have a complaint, we go to. Or some person that had, they worked, like, you know, they'd be on the job, Rex, and create all these verbose, verbose language, and you get in the role, and it's like, yo, this role is nothing like that. Like, watch this HR, and it's like the first HR recruiter, and they just, it, it's just, I don't know. It is I, So I want to kind of get your concept of, A, what really drove you to be an HR, but then also um, talk about your experiences as you kind of grown in your career. 
Right. Yeah. So it's funny. I feel like every time people ask me like what I do when I say work in HR, everyone <laughs> has like just the, you know, absolute like most tactical, you know, thought around what I do. Um, and, and usually like for the most part, people have no clue what I do on a day to day, which is fine. Um, but so I would say like getting into HR was really interesting for me. I actually started out, I was interning at Google and I was interning in sales and I was pretty bad at it. Um, <laughs> I definitely was really, really struggling throughout that internship. I mean, you know, I think I did enough to get by, but honestly, like it just was not my calling. And um, the beauty about Google is that they actually have like this concept of working on a 20% project. And so during that time, I was like, hey, I have to make the most of this experience. I'm working for, you know, one of the most admirable companies. It's a place where, you know, it's constantly ranked as one of the best places to work. And if that is truly what this company is about, then that also means that this is one of the companies that's really changing the game in terms of how we think about recruiting our talent, how we think about engaging them and how we think about retaining them. And so for me, I kind of just looked at that as like, if I'm going to be here, I need to be continue to be a student and I need to be open to learning, you know, how they're basically running that machine. And so I asked my manager at that time if I could take on a 20 percent project with the talent team. And that is essentially just a, a portion of their people operations team. And so they allowed me to do that. And I really spent um, a portion of my summer shadowing the team and participating in different workshops that like they did, like kind of like brand development workshops and things like that. And they um, also let me contribute to a few like research papers. Like I basically was able to do some of the research for them. And it was really exciting. And I knew at the end of that internship that I definitely wanted to do HR. And so when I finished, I basically, you know, they do like your exit interview and I'm basically telling them like, I know I want to do HR. I know sales is not for me. And, you know, it was funny because at the end, they're basically like, hey, you know, um, one, you know, you didn't intern in HR. We we have all of our HR interns. And so one one thing we can definitely say without a doubt is like, we won't have an option for you to convert. <laughs> and that sucked. Um, but then, you know, the other tough thing was, you know, they basically said like, if you were given the opportunity to come back full time and it would have been in sales, um, you know, would you take it? And and that's another one of those opportunities where you think I'd be crazy to say no. But at the time, I just knew I didn't want to I didn't want to do sales. That just wasn't my thing. And so I, I let them know, like, hey, I don't, I don't think this is for me, but I would love for you guys to call me, you know, when you guys are making your final decisions if for some reason, you know, opportunity opens up, you know, in HR. And so um, that's kind of how I left it. And um, when I left there, you know, they called me like, I think maybe like three, four weeks later and, you know, basically let me down nicely and let me know like, hey, you know, we, we don't have an opportunity for you to, you know, convert full time in HR. And that was it. Mm -hmm. And so um, from there, I basically was just like, okay, like, I, I need to find, you know, an HR opportunity. And I had went to a diversity conference earlier that year at Nestle. And so I knew they were going to start their recruiting. And I already knew that like I was going to be in the recruiting pipeline. So when one of the recruiters reached out to me, she was like, hey, we're super excited. We want to, you know, interview you for our marketing program. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. Like, I don't want to do marketing. Like, I know I want to do HR. And I know that like completely caught them off guard because I was a business major at the time when I came to do the conference. I never mentioned wanting to be in HR. Um, but thankfully, you know, she was willing to take a chance on me and she was willing to let me kind of participate in that interview process. And that's literally how I got my start in HR. I went, 
flew out to California. I did my rounds of interviews for their HR rotational program and they selected eight people and I was one of them. And that's essentially how I started my career straight out of undergrad. I I started in a two and a half year rotational HR program with them. Mm. So let's let's stop right there. I think you, the ethos of that whole place from working at Google, especially at that time, one of the top, it still is (laughs) one of the top companies in the world. And they said, yo, you have you have opportunity potentially to graduate uh, from this program, and we may not have an HR role, but we got a sales role. And I know people that work in sales role at Google like it's, it's intense, but yo, Google experience is like no other. And mm-hmm. you looked them in their face, it was like, nah, I'm good. Um, mm-hmm. And then you made a way. The reason what I really got out of that is the importance of sometimes staying in your lane. It's like yeah. it, it can be very tempting to be like, what's a great company? I can work my way in. I can do this. It's like, nah, I mean, it is what it was. And you said, no, I'm going to make the way of this opportunity. And what I see oftentimes, unfortunately, is we, we wilt too easily on certain things. And, yeah. and, and, it's, and you do that early in your career and you know the importance of career. Sometimes it's harder to cross over once you do four or five years of sales and then to go, it can happen, but it's way more difficult once you go down that route. But it's so, it's so seductive to do something if the pay is good as the company has a great brand name, because Nestle's great too. But from an optics perspective, people were like, why did you take the job at Google? Was there people ask, like questioning that decision when you when you made that decision? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> did you question I mean, yourself? <laughs> yeah, oh, of course. I mean, it was kind of like a running joke at the time. Myself and one of my other classmates, um, we were um, one of the first interns at Google from A&T in school of business. So it was a super exciting like opportunity for us. And, you know, he went on to work there full time and I was, I mean, him, him I, yeah, Shout yeah. That's my and, dog. Yeah. So him and I like still kept in touch and, and we had a couple of conversations about it and there were definitely times when I was like, gosh, was I stupid <laughs> to turn down this opportunity? Especially but, the way Griff be looking, living. I'm talking about all, that's all Mr. Louis Bataille, Mr. Moneybags. Yeah. If you listen to Griff, Calm your behind down, man. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. You do have those moments where you're just like, dang, like, did I really mess up? But, you know, HR, is, it's actually not an easy field in the sense that, you know, you cannot pass up those types of opportunities to, to go into another Fortune 500 company, like, you know, basically giving you the opportunity to learn, you know, and actually willing to develop you in that field because HR is a very long tenured function. You know, a lot of the folks that I work alongside have been in HR for yeah. 20, 30. They don't leave. <laughs> yeah, they don't. And so like, if you miss that boat, like, I mean, you're definitely the way you get, you probably break back in the HR is definitely probably going to be like, you know, from an administrative standpoint or from a recruiter standpoint, or, you know, a lot of times, you know, people of color, we, we do tend to roll right into like, you know, those diversity roles and things like that. And I knew that wasn't going to be my path. And so for me, I was just like trusting that, you know, God was going to make a way. And thankfully he did. And I have no regrets. Um, and I think at the time I was, I was lucky that um, their program now, they require you to have a master's degree at the time they did it. And wow, so I wow. just think it just worked out in my favor. And I, I definitely don't have any regrets about that. Mm-hmm. So before we move on past Nestle, if you had to, have you had identified two core things? Because I'm always talking about takeaways, two core things that the the leadership development program in the HR space in Nestle taught you what 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 two things would you think would you uh would you think about? Oh my gosh! Well, one thing it definitely taught me was like 
you you absolutely cannot count yourself out at a young age. Mm. Um, I definitely thought coming right out of college, you know, just turning 22, like they're not going to really, you know, basically look to me to own a lot of things and I'll be working under, you know, other managers and like senior HR folks that are going to kind of like take on the more challenging things. And, you know, I'll just basically be there as a student. And I was totally wrong about that. Um, and so it was, it was actually super scary for me. Like the first time they sent me like to a site to work because, um, it was just like a lot of things going on there and a lot of turnover. And I was actually tapped to lead a lot of things that I had zero experience in. <laughs> One thing I really had to learn was like, you have to trust that when the experiences and the opportunities come to you at a young age, you got to trust that it's meant for you and just go for it. There's, there is a learning opportunity for you there. And, and, and don't be so quick to say no, because you think that you're not qualified or you're not capable. So I would say that's definitely one thing. And then I think the other was, um, when we talk about like just this concept of like being outside of your comfort zone, anytime, like, you know, the whole concept of the program is to give you exposure to different parts of the business. And I was one of those folks that, you know, some people were making decisions in terms of where they went based upon location and wanted to be closer to family or wanted to be in a certain city. And me, I'm like raising my hand, like, please send me to like some of the most challenging sites. Like I want to go somewhere where it's going to be super hard and I'm going to get hit with things I've never done before. And no one else has really had any experience doing like, just send me to some of those problem locations because I feel like, you know, that's where I'm going to get the most growth from. And like, to me, I didn't even know what I was raising my hand for. Like, I mean, it's super bold statement to make when you're like 22 and 23, like send me where the challenges are. But I had some of the best experiences at Nestle because of that. I never worked in a place where I could wake up every day and and everything was going to be the same. It was always just crazy and it was chaos, but it was fun. And I learned a lot. (laughs) I couldn't believe how much I I had been able to do there in three years. So. So after Nestle, what was the next move? So that's what I was saying. You know, sometimes you make those decisions, you know, <laughs> you know, really rushed. And so at the time I was like, you know, I'm done. I really want to work in tech. But at the same token, I was, um, you know, working in the D.C. area and I didn't want to leave D.C. And so I was like, OK, um, you know, I'm just going to look for D.C. tech opportunities. And D.C. at that time, like, you know, 2015, they basically have a lot of, you know, like tech startups, but like smaller tech companies, you know, it's definitely not, you know, a place that's like budding, like, you know, Silicon Valley or just even on the West Coast in general or, or even New York area. And so I ended up um, finding an opportunity at this company called CoStar Group, and they basically do um, like real estate, but at the time, they were acquiring Apartments.com, and I was joining that team. So mm-hmm. I was super excited about it. And I was I was joining as an HR um, generalist, and I had no idea like what that even meant there. But all I cared about was like this is going to be my first step into tech, and I can stay in DC. And so I I basically started there. Obviously, it was more money, so I was obviously excited about that too. And then it was just it was it was crazy. I mean, the the culture there was just not one I was a fan of. And although it was a super diverse company and I definitely got to see a lot of people there that look like me and things like that. Um, 
there just wasn't a, a ton of structure there. And, the, and almost the entire HR team turned over uh, oh, before I left, you know? And so that was also just a sign of what was going on in the company at the time. And so I kind of just looked up and was like, hey, I don't actually see stability here. I don't see how I'm going to be able to learn and grow, you know, at this company. And I'm uncomfortable here, but it's not necessarily in a good or optimistic fashion. You know, I'm actually uncomfortable about my, you know, the ability to have longevity in my career here. And so um, that was kind of like an unfortunate experience for me because I obviously also had, you know, friends and family looking at me like you just left a really stable company and job where you had some tenure and now you're looking at us in three, four months on your new job telling us you don't like it. Um, Mm -hmm. So um, I basically started looking for new opportunities at that time. I was still dead set on staying in DC. And that also made me look at companies that weren't even tech. You know, I was, I was looking at all industries, but then I was like, okay, like, if you want to ground yourself in what, what, why you really left Nestle, you have to be open to being mobile and you, and you've always been open to being mobile. And so, you know, I did that. And, and next thing you know, like Amazon comes knocking and they are basically the team I was um, joining. They were looking to bring on more early to mid career HR professionals and professionals. And they were looking to make an investment um, and their future HR um, talent pipeline. And so that's how they basically, you know, connected the dots in terms of um, uh, connecting with me. And I came out and I interviewed after a couple of phone screens. I did, I literally called out from work and said, I had like, I, I remember I was getting <laughs> taken off or something. And I said, I was like in so much pain that I had to like not be at work on Monday. And so I called out, I took a red eye to Seattle. I had never been to Seattle. Hold up, an <laughs> HR person calling out yeah. what it is cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really did. I had I really what happened was Friday I went to the the orthodontist, got my braces removed. Then Sunday I flew out to Seattle and actually I didn't even take a red eye. I took like a, a normal flight on Sunday get there Sunday afternoon, get checked into my hotel, wake up Monday morning, interview all day for what they call like super day. And then I took a red eye back to DC that Monday evening. And I was at work on Tuesday, like nothing had happened. So it was pretty crazy. Mm, That's, that's, that's wild. And did you find Amazon or Amazon find you? The funny part is I found Amazon, but they have a location in the DMV, it's in Northern Virginia. And they had a role they were recruiting for that was like a very senior role. I was not, you know, even remotely qualified for it, but I, I basically applied. And then I, so this is why I love working with folks around, like just looking for jobs and careers, because I am like, I am definitely like a stalker when it comes to looking for a job. And so I was on LinkedIn, like looking up Amazon recruiters and also just trying to figure out their Amazon email addresses. And so as I was on these crazy searches and things like that, I was able to come up with a couple of different um, contacts and I was blasting them with like cover letters and resumes and telling them like why I needed to work for Amazon. And thankfully, like one of the recruiters like took my information and sent it on to someone. Man, that's that's phenomenal. So quick question. So you're at Amazon. What was the title of the role? And now can you break down the, the most if it, the most imminent question? What did what what did your day look like for oh HR? Because people think HR don't do anything. 
<laughs> yeah, so it's funny. Um, so when they hired me, they hired me as an HR generalist. And so for me, being at Nestle, if you are an HR generalist, it's the same as being an HR business partner, meaning you're going to have a client group, you're going to do some consulting with managers, you're going to handle kind of like any type of employee related issue, like any type of like investigation, things like that that comes up. Um, but you're also owning like recruiting and um, you're owning kind of like uh, compensation every year and like rewards and performance, things like that. But when I went to Amazon, their idea of what an HR journalist was much different. You know, it was um, more of like an entry level role. And you may have like two you know, years of HR experience, maybe less than that. But you're coming in and you're kind of helping out the senior HR talent. Like you'll have a very small client group and you may support a few different managers. But really, your job is to kind of help um, coordinate some of those like large, you know, initiatives from HR standpoint. So if we're talking about promotions or we're talking about the annual performance review process, if we're talking about compensation, like you're basically serving as that program manager for that. You're helping to come up with the communications. You're helping to come up with templates. You're um, basically the one that serves as like the single point of contact for questions, you're leading trainings, things like that. And so for me, I was like, okay, I'm a little nervous because I feel like, you know, I'm having this another kind of like panic moment where it's my first few months at Amazon. And I think God, I've relocated myself all the way across country for a role that I now feel like is a step back for me. Um, and so my first six months, you know, in my role, I was pretty unhappy. Um, I was going through the ropes and, and learning as much as I could because I had not worked as an HR partner in tech, but I was pretty vocal about like, maybe this was not the right opportunity for me. And so I remember at like the six month mark, um, I sat down with my manager at the time and even she was prepared to have like a pretty tough conversation with me about like, just, you know, fit and like my future performance trajectory and things like that. And at the time I literally just started crying her office and I was basically like, I, I relocated my entire life to come over here and I'm not happy. I don't like what I'm doing. The work is not fulfilling. I don't feel like I'm being challenged. And we just kind of talked about what my experiences were prior to Amazon and what I was hoping to gain from coming here. And thankfully she was super open to that. And I think she also knew like, you know, that I had potential. And so after six months, um, she actually gave me like bigger client groups. She changed the complete scope of my role and my responsibility. She moved me under a different manager. And then they actually went ahead and promoted me to an HR business partner, which it was great. And so after that, you know, I feel like my, you know, time at Amazon like really transformed. I was a lot more engaged and, you know, I was working on a lot of different projects. And then I also found an opportunity to really get involved with a lot of the diversity efforts at Amazon. And so um, when people ask me today, like, what does my role look like on a day to day? You know, I spend a lot of time just coaching my managers on, on what it takes to, you know, lead and develop strong performing teams. Um, we do a lot of talking around, you know, what the composition of their team needs to look like for their, you know, future plans for their, for their businesses that they're running. Um, we do spend a lot of time talking about diversity because it's a focal point right now for, for the company and the tech industry in general. It's also a passion for me. And so we talk about, you know, what does it mean to, 
you know, have an inclusive team and, and also what it takes to, you know, recruit diverse talent and keep it. And then, you know, a lot of times you're also just serving as that sounding board for managers when they have questions or if they're frustrated or if they need help in coaching, even in their own careers. And so that's probably one of the most fulfilling parts of my job is being able to just build those relationships with the tech leaders that I support. And, you know, you wear a lot of different hats being an HR partner. You know, you're the person that people come to when they have a sticky, you know, legal matter with employees. And you may also be the person that someone just comes to confide in when they're having a tough day or they're having a family issue that's impacting, you know, how they're showing up at work, you know, today. And so I I love that part of my job. I like that it's not the same every day. And I like that, you know, the success of my role is really around how I can help other people, you know, grow and develop and, and feel empowered in their jobs. Mm-hmm. That's, 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 that's great. And uh, I want to I want to talk about before we move move on to kind of what you do as far as helping individuals in that in that aspect. In regards to less far in your your career in HR, specifically in the diversity and inclusion space, uh, or diversity yeah, diversity and inclusion space, um, what are some things that that you've seen that uh that that have that have caused you or that have allowed you to kind of see what's going on and to see kind of where you can have direct change um, in in regards to diversity. And I guess a better question would be, um, there's there's obviously some gaps in diversity recruiting because I hear a lot of companies, to be honest, a lot of companies say, we want that more diverse talent. We want this. We want that. But then it's like when they bring them on, A, are they catering towards create, is that environment diverse? It's like, for instance, American, yeah, no, American Underground, right? Tech company in Durham. I love them. Cool. Cool to death. You want more black people there? When when I'm when I'm there and I'm not in tech, I feel uncomfortable. I don't really feel like I'm part of the crew. And there's a lot of other places and corporations that they scream they want diversity, they scream all this other stuff. But when you get into that environment, it's not really conducive. And I'm not to say they need to adjust to uh, people of color or uh, all this other stuff. But there's all, a lot of times it's, it's a it's it, it kind of seems like a lie at times. So in your role when you come in. And you have a couple years of experience on your belt, but you're still new, but you see some things that need to be addressing. How do you kind of assert yourself um, in those conversations and and drive change uh, without kind of being deemed um, that you're underqualified or being being shown off? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that I think you def and I feel like this is really like why a lot of companies really struggle is that you realize like companies will go out and they will invest in diversity leaders. Like, you know, a lot of companies have gone out and recruited, you know, very high profile, like heads of DNI. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just hired our first, you know, chief diversity officer. And that's great. Like, those are all like needed things. But the reality is that the only times when I've been able to have the most impact is when I start with the leader of my business. And that is like, understanding that there has to be a mindset shift. Like if you're looking at diversity and it's more of a check the box, you know, exercise for you and you don't really understand why it's important and you don't understand how it can impact your bottom line and you're truly not passionate about it, then it probably won't be successful. You may be able to get your recruiters to get more heads in the door, but then then you have a problem of actually retaining the talent. And so one of the things that I've really been talking a lot about with my leaders recently is this concept of 
psychological safety, which is really about being able to feel like you can be yourself at work and not be penalized for that. And so like if you actually think about the tech industry and some of the the makeups of the, the founders in the tech industry, like all very similar backgrounds and pedigrees. And you have to understand that when these companies start and, and a lot of them, you know, haven't been around that long, um, you know, when they start, you know, it, it would be just like anyone else, you know, starting something new. You know, the first people you go to are like friends and family. And so they tend to go and recruit folks that, you know, are in their network. And, you know, the the makeup of um, a lot of the C-suite is, is not super diverse. And, and And to some degree, like you have to have a little bit of grace to understand like how they've gotten there, especially if they're a newer company, like they are basically pulling from their own network. And then as they pull those folks in and they're being told to build out new teams, all they're doing is going and doing the same thing. And so, yes, they may inadvertently pull out diversity of thought, but if your own networks are not super diverse, you can't expect for these tech companies to be very diverse. So one of the things that really made me kind of have a little bit more empathy for my leaders was just thinking about it in that way. And so I basically just said to myself, I can't come in and be this person that's like, you know, I want diversity and I'm going to help you get there. Like I need to actually sit down with my leaders and not, we have to have uncomfortable conversations. We have to talk about what it means to be a black employee here and, and the things that I face and, you know, how I'm, you know, mischaracterized and things like that. And then I also want us to take a look at your team and your staff and, you know, what it, what does your team look like? And, you know, is it a reflection of our consumers or the consumers that we're trying to attract? Um, and if it's not like, well, then how do we make a more intentional effort to get more diverse folks in the door? And so for me, I just had to stop like feeling like I had to walk on eggshells about the conversation because, at the end of the day, like it's needed, it has to happen. And the only way people are going to get behind um, this concept of diversity is for them to have, you know, some level of understanding. And then understanding that, you know, it's not like other business initiatives where you can go to school and, and learn about it and things like that. And a lot of it takes for you to unlearn a lot of how you were actually raised as an adult. There's a ties, <laughs> you know, to social things. And so, um, especially working in tech where it's a it's 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 global and a lot of our workforce comes from other parts of the world, you have to even take time to understand like what does diversity mean for them or is that even a thing, you know, like where they're from and what are some of the cultural things that they bring to the table that may kind of run up against like some of the things that you're pushing for when you think about diversity. And so I had to actually take a different approach in my role. And that was um, one of like making sure that I also provided a lens to help them understand. But then I also sat back and listened to them. And and so when I first start with leaders, our first couple of conversations is really just to get to know them and, and know like what are the things they're excited about and what their career was like before they came to Amazon and, you know, talk if you're comfortable enough, like talk to me about your family and things like that. That all helps me to be a better partner for them. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. that. Uh, And side note, can you, can you talk about your new role at at all? Yeah. Uh, Yes. All right. Cool. Cool. So um, I'll cut that. I'll cut me asking that question. So we we're at Amazon. We're trailblazing in this space. We shaking and moving. 
it's a dream come true because I know you said you love DC, but uh, I can tell by the IG stories you like Amazon. I mean, you like Seattle yeah. as well. Like I'm like I be looking like what kind of life y'all living in Seattle? I ain't know that many black people exist in Seattle. It looked popping. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you you're learning a lot of Amazon. Um, but but I know recently you have a big announcement. I want you to break it kind of here. Um, about a potential transition. So, A, walk us through kind of the methodology of of why the transition, as well mm-hmm. as uh, share with the audience what, what your new role will entail. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I basically, um, I knew, like, at some point, like, you know, I wanted to experience a different tech company. I definitely knew that. And I have definitely had a really robust experience at Amazon being here, you know, for almost three years, just a few months short of three years. And so um, for me, I really just thought to myself, like I knew I wanted to leave at some point. I knew I wanted to leave probably, I was giving myself at least, you know, until 2020. I was like, you know, I'll start looking like end of 2019 and hopefully be in something new by 2020. And um, part of that was also like, being in grad school, wanting to finish that and feeling like that would also open the door to the type of opportunities that I wanted. Um, but then I also was thinking about um, just the direction of the company in terms of like what's what's exciting to me about HR. And so one of the things and kind of the tough conversations that I had with my manager at the time was I love Amazon. I think Amazon is an exciting place. There's, it's super innovative. I'm a, you know, I am a consumer and, and, and a really happy, like, you know, Amazon customer. I've got, you know, so many different devices and I use amazon.com religiously, but, um, what it really came down to was, is this a place for me that I'm super excited to be in from an HR standpoint or is this just more so like one of the best opportunities that a developer can be in? And that's really what it came down to. And I felt like, you know, for engineering talent, Amazon is a great place to be for technical talent in general. And then for me being in HR, I felt like um, I want to do a little bit more um, in HR. Like I am definitely a creative person. I'm a builder. I love to think really big, which is another thing that excited me about Amazon because that's, you know, one of their values and, and leadership principles. But it's hard. Amazon is a massive company. And so if you want to experiment, you can, but know that if your idea is a hit, it's gonna take a lot to to champion that idea across, you know, a a giant organization and company like Amazon. And I wanted the opportunity to also work in a smaller space. Um, and so at that time I was joking, not joking. I, I was serious, but I was, um, texting one of my friends and I basically was like, man, if I leave, you know, this company, like there's only a couple of places that I think I would, I would want to work. And one of those places I said was, I would really love to work for Netflix. Um, and at the time that was because I had been following the company and I really loved the you know, diversity I was seeing in the content. They had just hired their own new diversity leader. And I was just reading up about the culture. I had also interacted with a few folks from there last year at Afrotech. And so I just was like, you know, if I ever, if I ever moved, I would love to work for a company like that. And so I said that in, uh, I think it was like maybe September, 2018. 
And then, you know, fast forward, like November, literally November, that's not even really a fast forward. It's like eight weeks later, I'm now, you know, taking on an HR manager role at Netflix. And, it, you know, it's, it's super exciting. One, the power of manifestation and putting things out there into the atmosphere, but then also just Netflix in general. I'm super excited about, you know, this opportunity. When I went to visit and, and met with the team, it genuinely felt like this is where I'm supposed to be. And it's funny because um, one of the things that the manager, my, my new manager said to me at the time was, hey, I don't, I don't want to sugarcoat this for you. Like, you know, we are a growing organization. We don't have all the resources that you're probably accustomed to working at really large companies. You have to be a builder here. You have to be scrappy. You have to want to invent and I'm looking at her like, this is not going to deter me. Like, this is music to my ears. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm excited about doing. Um, and, you know, we've spent a lot of time just talking about um, investment, you know, in my career and, and what it is that I'm hoping to do and the type of impact that I want to have. And it just felt like this this is the the space that I need to be in right now. And so I definitely also thought I would be making a a move back to the East Coast, but that's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> not going to happen anytime soon. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful for my opportunity, my experiences in Seattle, but San Francisco, Silicon Valley, like that's, that's the big leagues for tech, you know, that that's definitely where, um, a lot of people hope to, 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 you know, basically have a portion of their career at some point in tech. So I'm super excited that I have that opportunity right now. And that's, <laughs> that's uh, amazing. And do you know, within that role, do you kind of, I know you haven't started just yet, but do you know a little bit about what you're actually going to be doing? Yeah. So it's interesting because, um, you know, it's still, you know, you're, you're still a business partner. You're still expected that, you know, you're going to partner very closely with, you know, the VP and the directors and the managers in terms of any people related initiative. So that that's not going to change. But um, you do get to understand a little bit about um, what the leader is hoping to accomplish as well and some of the things, you know, that they're excited about. And so one of those things um, that we talked about um, pretty early on was just, you know, how do I go about ensuring that I have a very inclusive team? And and for me, that was something that was super exciting because, you know, I, I definitely spend, you know, a good amount of my time also just being a champion for diversity and diversity efforts. And so I'm super excited that that work is going to continue at Netflix. Um, and I'm, I'm excited that I have a leader that's naturally curious about that. And so I'm, I'm really um, being very open-minded to kind of like whatever that, you know, shape that takes. Um, Cause it, I think it'll be a lot different than, you know, the things that I was doing at Amazon, but um, I'm also just really open. Like I, I basically just want to know like the things I, I really feel like it's a, it's literally a whiteboard in terms of like what I can do. Like I, I feel like they have so many things that they haven't even been able to scratch the surface yet because they're building up their, their HR resources right now. So I really think like it, you know, I could be taking on some things that I probably never even thought I would be owning, you know, and, and the ability to have impact company wide as well is, is a real, it's a, it's a real thing there, you know, like the company is, 
um, you know, about, I think it's about 5,000 folks right now. And so, um, the opportunity for me to create something on a smaller scale, but have a larger impact is there. And so that's what I'm excited about. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't know where you go from here. I mean, Amazon, Google, and now freaking Netflix. Like I, I, I don't, I don't know where else. <laughs> I, I, you two, you're not even 30 yet. You're going to box yourself in. I don't, I don't know where. I don't know. <laughs> Crazy too. I was literally telling somebody that because I'm one of those people like, I'm always like, my mom always says, she's like, you're such a planner. Like you're always thinking like two, three, four, five years ahead. This is the first time that I've taken an opportunity and I've literally just been humbled and, 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 you know, just taking a step back to be like, God, I'm in no rush to figure out what happens, you know, longer term at Netflix or what happens post Netflix, because I just don't know yet. Um, I'm truly blown away to have this opportunity this early on. And so and and one thing I loved about it was my my you know new manager told me that, like even at the point of the offer, she was like, hey, everyone really was just like, you know, you, you definitely don't, you're not someone that we know has like 10, 15 years of experience here. Like, um, but one thing that she really honed in one on was like, we really trust your instinct and your judgment. So it's almost like, even though you don't have those years of experience, we still feel like you're going to come in and make the right decisions. And for me, I'm just like, that, that's usually all I'm ever looking for is for an opportunity for someone that's willing to take a bet on me and take a chance. And so right now I'm just kind of like, I'm just going to take it day by day and I'm sure I'm going to wake up at some point and I'm going to have a whole other plan uh, post Netflix, but I, I just don't have it right now. And I think, I think that's okay. Yeah, I, I think it is as well. And uh, before we transition, I always try to ask specifically this season, I'm focusing on asking uh, my guests, did you ever like growing up, right? Could you ever imagine that you would be uh, in this tech space, working with some of the biggest companies in the world with the biggest brands, and not just like on a little meat scale, but like really having some legroom and influence and um, sharing advice, giving strategies to some of the, the leading business people in the world. Like when you were a little kid growing up, did you envision this? Did you see this? No, I definitely didn't. But the funny part is um, my mom always jokes with me. She's like, when you were younger, you used to tell me that you were going to be like a computer programmer or something like that. So I don't even know where you got that from, but like you used to tell me that all the time, that that's what you were going to do. And then I don't know. I think at some point I, I got really passionate about just people, which is interesting and, and social justice. And um, I, for a second thought like, you know, I know I want to help people and, and, but I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know if that meant like, I'm going to go off and do something in nonprofit or anything. I literally had no clue, but to think that it's all come full circle and I've been able to do it in an industry like tech where, you know, it's actually, it's one of those spaces where they're leading in terms of like how we basically, you know, manage talent. But at the same token, there's tons of opportunity there to like help shape and grow, you know, some of the initiatives that have been in place, you know, for decades at this point. And so I'm super excited about it because, you know, folks spend, you know, a good amount of their time, you know, at work and, and you should feel excited about coming into work every day. And the fact that I get to be a part of, you know, shaping what your experience looks like um, when it's a, such a huge component of your life is really exciting to me. Mm. Yeah, I love yeah. that, man. So let's do the killer crossover real quick. So 
We dominating on that side. A lot of stuff is going well. And we are going to talk on a personal context and maybe some of the struggles that come with all this because I know there, there's lots. I don't want to gloss over that, in fact. Um, but I, I want to talk about the work that you're doing as far as a career consultant. And um, you've been doing, you've been in the game for a couple years doing it. Actually, I see you've been hitting stages too, Wonder Woman in Tech and a few others right now. So mm-hmm. can you share with our audience? I mean, one, when do you, when do you, when do you think you had enough experience to actually consult and give advice on careers? And then also I got a couple key questions that I want to ask you um, for our audience to say about choosing careers, um, navigating careers in that aspect. But first, take us away on how you became a career consultant. Um, so I would say, I think I've always been like everyone's one HR friend. And so I think like naturally people will, you know, text me or uh, call me and ask me for advice when they're looking for new roles or ask me to look at their resume, things like that. And so I've basically been doing that since I graduated, but, um, you know, one of, I feel like my friends are always challenging me to kind of like think on a larger scale and think about, you know, it was a theme, you know, maybe a year or two ago, like, how you monetize some of these, you know, passion projects. And so, um, you know, one of my close friends was just really like, you can make money, you know, doing this. And, you know, at the time I'm like, no, I just like want to help people when I can. And I don't want to charge people I know. And it's like, <laughs> I, yep. We all go through that thing. Oh, yep. Oh, but then I realized like what really happened was it was a couple of things. It's like one, my time started becoming a little bit more valuable. Yep. to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and two, I also felt like, you know, I have this experience, like I've been working in HR for a while now. And, and, and not only am I getting this opportunity by folks my age coming to me, asking me questions, but I do this on a daily basis, you know, at work. And I do that with a wide array. You live this. Yeah. You know, backgrounds, experience and ages. So I was like, I could totally do this. And so, um, at the time, though, I, I was, I will say, I was a little gun in terms of whether or not I wanted to fully do this on my own as an entrepreneur and kind of, you know, do the whole process of recruiting my own clients and things like that. And so I did some research on just like, you know, how can I do this, you know, through other companies? And so one of the companies that I found was The Muse. And it was interesting because The Muse had, um, they actually had an interest in me, um, a year before I actually joined. And at the time I didn't even go through the process of um, the interview and things like that, because I thought I didn't have enough experience. I was looking at coaches on the platform and I'm like, you know, dang, I don't know if I'm really competitive enough. And so I passed um, on the opportunity at first. And then, um, you know, a year later I was thinking about it again. And I'm like, you know, I think, I think now I, I feel like I would definitely be, a viable, you know, candidate for this role. And so I reached back out to um, the person that was owning the coaching program at that time, sent him my resume, told him I was super interested. They were not even accepting coaches at the time. So it was literally like a shot in the dark. And thankfully he was like, yeah, like, you know, I'm definitely open to the conversation. And so we kind of, he had like a 30, 45 minute call. He talked to me about you know, what are the things I'm passionate about um, when I'm, you know, coaching others and what are the things I like to help folks in? And then he also um, kind of just did some pre-work with me. So he sent me like a resume that needed, you know, revisions and asked me to not only edit it, but walk me through like my thought process and things like that. And it was a really, you know, easy flowing, fluid conversation and it felt really natural. And then after that, 
he actually asked for some references of folks that I'd worked with in the past. And so I gave him some of those. And obviously these are also folks that I like know pretty well, but I didn't, you know, basically give them any type of buffer and I didn't, you know, tell them to sell me in any way. I really wanted to hear what the natural feedback would be. Um, and so he did that and he reached out to like two or three people and then he circled back with me and just said like, you know, he thought I'd be a good fit. And so that's essentially how I became, I guess, like this, like independent contractor on the platform and, and working as a coach. And it was really cool because I basically felt like I was, you know, getting an opportunity to work with all different types of folks. And, um, they, you naturally just get an influx of clientele and, you know, when folks start leaving you reviews and then other people like, Oh, I saw you help so-and-so with X, Y, and Z. And I'm in a similar situation. I'd love to talk to you. But then it was like, it just kind of really took off. Like the more I was kind of meeting with clients and doing, you know, um, interview prep and, you know, uh, smaller, uh, format career consultations, it was really like, I felt like I was constantly on client calls and I was trying to kind of find some balance in my schedule of when I could actually, you know, meet. And then also how many clients I could take a month. And so I ended up working with them for over a year and a half. And then finally I was like, man, I'm, I, even when I'm fully booked, I'm still getting folks reaching out to me on LinkedIn, just asking me to open up more availability. And so I really had to think about it and was like, okay, one, like this has been a great opportunity and I've learned a lot, but is this really where I want to stay? And if I don't, then what does that look like for me? And so right now I'm in this like pause period where I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. I still have folks that will reach out to me and ask me to do, um, you know, career consultations or things like that. So I've taken a few clients like you know, just randomly, but for the most part, I'm on pause at the moment. Um, and I'm just trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure out what does that look like for me? Like, what do I want to do? Do I want to, you know, I, I think honestly, like I don't want to do resume, you know, critiques and I don't want to do, you know, review recover letter, like those things like recruiters look at for maybe, you know, 30 seconds, you know, I think what it really comes down to is how you sell yourself and how you brand yourself. And I feel like whenever I'm consulting with new clients, that's usually where they miss the mark. And so now I'm just trying to figure out, well, what does that look like? Does that mean I take on an approach where I'm just going to be willing to work with a few people for a period of, you know, four to eight weeks and, you know, just create these smaller cohorts of clients so that I can actually have like a more, you know, intimate, you know, uh, relationship with them and being able to follow them in their journey. Quick, like, I just want to ask three quick things for our audience out here. Um, I'm rapid fire, real quick, as far as career. For though, what advice, what quick advice would you give those that are trying to switch careers? Oh my God. And I know these, are, these levels, these, there's so many layers to this. I, so I know, I don't want to, I don't want to do them a disservice, but um, from what you, from just from a general perspective, I'm in a career that I really don't want to be in. Um, what is some of the foundational blocks of change? Yeah. Well, I think one is really understanding why the change. Um, folks can tell me they want to do certain things. And when we dig deep, you know, there's not a lot of substance there in terms of why they want to be a product manager or why they want to be a lawyer. And I think you really have to understand the motivation for the change and separate kind of 
what your perception of that role is going to be. And then the actual reality, like a lot of times I will tell my clients to actually go out and find some folks that work in the roles they're hoping to switch into and have set up coffee tracks, like actually understand what it is that they do on a daily day, day to day, what frustrates them about their roles, um, how they got into that space, what they feel like the future trajectory is for that role in terms of like, is there a longstanding career? Because not every single role out there is something that's going to be around 10 years from now, you know? And so like understanding, like, is this something that they feel is a lifelong career or it's something that they just feel they have to do um, as, you know, like a stop along the way, like really understanding the role that it is that you want to move into, um, I think is super important. But then I definitely think you need to have a moment of introspection to understand, like, why do I want to change? And and sometimes it, you uncover that there are some parts of your job that you're unhappy about that you may even have control over. Um, and so it may not even sometimes be that you need to switch your career. You may have to switch the environment that you're in or um, maybe what it is that you decide is your focal point in your career. Because just like me being in HR, you know, um, there are other folks that work in HR, but they've chosen that their, you know, a subject matter expertise is going to lie in recruiting or, you know, things like that or, you know, uh, talent management, conversation, things like that. So I feel like you just also have to understand, like, is it that I just don't like these particular aspects of my role, but I absolutely love doing X, Y, and Z. And so I definitely think, you know, it's that two-part approach, understanding the motivation for the change and then also um, what it takes to get into that new role and what it's actually going to look like for you if you actually do make that change. Mm, That's a perfect, perfect answer. Uh, Next question. And this is for my college students out there that are, and I guess you can hit it on two lenses. For those that are looking for internships. I know this is a basic softball question, but there's people out there that listen to this podcast that are going to be looking for internships. And for those transitioning into full-time roles, uh, what would be some advice you would share with them? Oh my goodness. So I, I, I definitely still, I still like to have kind of like a connection with undergrad um, students because I just love the energy um, at that age level. And so um, I just recently spoke with some students out here at University of Washington that were preparing for um, a student conference where they were going to be interviewing for internships. And I told them, like, you should be looking at, you know, preparing yourself for an internship and getting one. That needs to be looked at as like, that is like another class that I'm taking. Like, treat it like it's coursework. Take it seriously. Dedicate the time every week to, you know, looking and researching companies and internship opportunities that are out there. Dedicate the time to really practicing, you know, what your pitch looks like and how you actually sell yourself. You know, the resume, great. You have the resources usually on campus to help you get a decent looking resume, but actually spend some time doing some interview preparation and understanding, like, if I have time with the recruiter, if I'm, you know, attending one of these job fairs, like, how am I going to show up there? How am I going to sell myself? What do I need them to know about me? And then also, like, what type of internships am I looking for? Am I open to just anything? Um, You know, am I trying to basically get experience in these different, you know, areas or arenas so that when I finish school, I know exactly what it is that I want to do. Like, make sure you understand what the purpose is um, when you're looking for an internship. Because I definitely had two different um, ways of looking for internships. Um, They definitely differed at each level of my undergraduate um, journey. And and my focuses were very different each year. So I think you definitely need to know that. And I think if you're 
currently working full time and you're looking for a new opportunity, I think you you almost have to treat it the exact same way. Whenever I get into a space where I'm really actively looking for a new role, I set goals for myself. I always tell myself it should never take me longer than three months to secure a job. And thankfully I've, you know, been able to do that, you know, consistently. But that's just because I treat it like this is just another, you know, hustle for me at the end of my workday. I go home and I'm constantly searching for jobs. I used to always joke with people like when I'm looking for a new job, I swear I know every single job posting that's going up. Like I'm there every day refreshing, bookmarking, stalking recruiters on LinkedIn, refreshing, you know, my page and ensuring that I'm attracting the right, you know, type of um, recruiters and I'm showing up in the right searches. And I'm I'm maniacal about it because, you know, I feel like you should take it. You, you should take looking for a job just as important as you take your your appearance or just any other aspect of your career. Like you should be treating it the same. I think a lot of times when folks hear about the amount of time and attention that I take when looking for a new role, they're like, they're shocked. They're shocked that I spend that much time, but I think it's necessary. Um, and I feel like if you're really passionate about getting, you know, into a new role or a new career, then why not put in the effort to to make it happen in a more timely fashion um, and, and really doing the research to understand what the resources are out there for you and what's available for you. Um, so, so, you know, that that's basically my two cents on that. Nah, that was a uh, two cents and a quarter right there. I love, I love that. Uh, and our last question before we go into the culture change round, actually we got two more. Uh, what, what what can we expect from you in 2019? As far actually, nah, we already we already kind of said we're, we're playing it. We're playing it by ear. We're leading with faith and stuff like that. So I love that. Uh, when it's all said and done, how do you want to be remembered? Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, I definitely feel like I want to be a person that people knew um, was you know always positive and upbeat, but then but really just someone that is willing to pour into other people without expecting anything in return. Um, I'm really big around like sharing my story and, and a lot of what I've been focusing on the last couple of years is really practicing that vulnerability because I feel like the more that I've been willing to share my journey and, and successes and failures, I think that's naturally opened doors for me to help other people. And I feel like we sometimes shy away from those opportunities. I, I, I have my, you know, theories why, but I, I think it doesn't matter like, you know, what your excuse is um, for not wanting to, to be vulnerable with others and, and, and building community. I think it's important. I think we, we like to pretend that we get to places by ourselves, but we do not. And so I definitely want to be remembered as someone that, you know, is a connector that believes in other people's dreams just as much as I believe in my own. Um, and I, I definitely want folks to remember me as someone that was, you know, very, very much so a life enthusiast, but one that was not selfish um, in that pursuit of having a good life, one that was willing to um, share that life with others and and willing to essentially kind of break down walls and barriers for other people um, to live their best lives as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you brought up challenges. You brought up vulnerability. Uh, what would you say, As because this will be the, one, the last portion of the podcast before we, we go through the rapid fire round, uh, what would you say this far? It can be in career or life. Uh, was your biggest learning moment 
um, or chat or obstacle that you that you faced, um, and then share with us what you learned from that moment. Yeah, um, you know it's so interesting because I feel like. 2018 was so hard for me, but I feel like a lot of people look at it and they're like, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're not stop, you're going. Um, and it was like actually one of my most challenging years ever. Um, wow. And I think um, probably one of my moments where I realized like, okay, like something's got to change was one, I realized like, yes, I'm working super hard, but I've also always been this way. I've always been one that I don't feel like there's enough hours in the day for me, but it was getting to a point where, you know, I'm not sleeping, you know, I'm, you know, constantly having headaches and, um, I'm not, um, even though I, you know, definitely have like a pretty, I, I cast a pretty wide net in terms of like my network and associates and things like that. I realized that I wasn't actually spending the time to really cultivate a lot of those um, relationships. And I wasn't like, like kind of what I shared earlier was I wasn't really being vulnerable with others. And that definitely shows up in different areas of your life. And when you actually take a step back and you have to do the work on yourself and figure out where that comes from. I learned that, you know, the way that I am about my career, how much effort I put into it, um, and the way that I am with people actually stemmed from a lot of things from like my childhood and my family and my relationships with my parents. And when I actually was willing to go through that process of having pretty honest dialogue with them, I learned a lot about myself. You know, I learned that, you know, when I'm, you know, not wanting to confront things, you know, I will pour myself into work. You know, I will take on like three, four, five different projects. Like I will overextend myself. Um, and I also realized like when things get hard for me and things get, get tough, um, I just, you know, I kind of just lock in and I just become someone that's like in my own bubble. And even though you see me and I'm, you know, constantly on the move and I'm still not really available to others. And I realized that, you know, one, if I'm not willing to do the work on myself, these types of things are going to continue to show up for me. I'm, I'm not going to be able to experience the levels of true happiness that I want to experience if I'm not willing to work on those things now. And also, I just got to a point where I felt like, I don't think I can actually like move forward and and actually be really happy in this new chapter if I'm not willing to do the work on myself. And that was actually probably a defining moment for me. Like even though I was super excited about this new opportunity, I was also like pretty unhappy at the same token. And so I was like I have to take time off. I have to be willing to just have some really tough moments with myself and with my family and with my loved ones in order for me to really embrace this new chapter. Mm-hmm. One I, I appreciate you for for sharing that uh, and yeah, it it makes a makes a lot of sense and I, I always try to ask these questions because it puts context cuz I know Everybody that I've ever had in this show has doing phenomenal things. Um, and I, I always want to affirm that because I think in the black community, we don't affirm that enough about some of the phenomenal things that our black and brown women and men are doing. Um, however, there's all also there's always challenge for everybody. I always want people to look because, you know, like you said, there's people that look online and say, wow, Netflix, Amazon, they listen to this podcast. They're like, oh, my God, everything must be great, blah, blah, blah. And everything is good, but, but things could always be better. 
And mm-hmm. it, it starts with kind of getting to know yourself because you could be that person that shows up at some of the best offices in the world, gets free food, free gear, uh, exclusive, <laughs> all this stuff, but then go home and just be guzzling wine or doing this <laughs> random stuff. Like we seen those movies and we laugh and be like, yo, that's crazy. How did she do that? And then when we get older, and that's what I think. When I get older, I'm doing the same things. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, this don't make no sense. I used to watch as a kid. Like, they stupid. Why is she she live in LA? Why is she always in the crib? Why is she always looking sad? Like she's dating a movie star. He is a movie star. What in the world? But um, it's glad that you've been able to have that time. So I definitely uh I'm excited about what's gonna happen in this in this moment of um of solitude in a sense. Not solitude, like morbid solitude, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. So the culture change round, I have five rapid fire questions. I get five rapid fire answers back. You ready to go? Yeah, let's go. Uh, what's the best piece of advice that you have never received? <laughs> um, I never thought I received at an early age any real advice around financial literacy. Um, and I feel like that is such a miss. I definitely think it's a miss in the Black community. Um, I just, I I feel like if I could have gotten that advice sooner, I would have not made some like pretty silly mistakes early on. Amen. You gonna you gonna have to do that in San Francisco too. Good God! <laughs> oh my God! Every time I look at that boy, oh man, 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 man. If you could add one habit and take away one habit, what would they be? Um, meditation. Actually, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I'm and I'm actually trying to like get into a space of just spending more time by myself and things like that. But um, I do think that it's important to just like sit down and just kind of meditate on the week, set your intentions for the week, reflect, and you know have those moments of introspection. I think it's really important. And I, a few folks have shared with me kind of you know different um, ways that they go about doing that. And so I'm hoping to incorporate those, but um, if I could replace, you know, maybe meditation with me just waking up in the morning and the first thing I'm doing is checking emails and scrolling on Instagram, you know, I think I, I you know, my days would, would start differently. <laughs> mm, so, so the challenge is how, how are we going to make that happen? I know that, you know, and I'm going to have to figure out what that means right now, what I've done is I've set these like timers on some of my, like on Instagram, you can set a timer that says like you spent this amount of time, you know, on it. So it pops up when I've been on it too much, but it's still a work in progress because sometimes I get that notification like too early in the day. And so I'm like, why has, you know, this, you know, already like hit the time limit. But I think the other thing is like, just reminding yourself, like when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you should do is check in with yourself. Like why we think the first thing we need to do is check in with the world um, is beyond me. But I think that's also a part of that self-care thing and just being willing to be a little selfish sometimes and put yourself first. So that's that's essentially like I have to change my mindset in order to incorporate some of those habits. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite what? book and why? Oh, gosh. You know, I don't know. I'm really not sure. I have a favorite book. Let me think about this. I think... Or you can do a favorite movie. Oh, that's a good one. Um, all right. So this is like really silly that this is my favorite movie, but I actually like... Gosh, what was this? Is This was actually like two, 2012. Yeah, 2012, right before I started working. Uh, my best friends actually bought me all four Free Willies. <gasps> There's four of them? I thought it was like two. There's literally four of them. Bro, he really died though, didn't he? 
Yeah, uh, he does. But listen, like I was actually distraught <laughs> when he died in real life. Like I is the thing. Like I was like, I read about it online. I called my <laughs> called my mom to tell her about it. Like I don't know what it is. My fascination. It was actually one of the first things I did when I moved to Seattle. The first one of the first things I did was go whale watching. Um, I don't know. I just love Free Willy. I love like animal type, you know, movies and things like that, which is also hilarious because I'm actually pretty scared of most animals, but <laughs> I don't know. I have an infatuation with just how other species live and just the concept of being submerged in water and that being like your your home and your atmosphere. And it also just probably the fact that the majority of that space is unknown to us. Like I think that's also like super interesting to me, but that is my favorite movie, Free Willy. <laughs> uh, what is your biggest fear? Oh gosh. Um, well, I used to say my biggest fear was um, essentially like just being 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 without, um, and I, I definitely didn't want to ever feel those moments of like you know poverty or things like that, but. Um, I think that could really, it doesn't even have to be um, looked at from a monetary standpoint anymore. I do think like, I I just have this fear of just lacking something, like feeling like you have everything, but not being fulfilled in some portion of your life. And so that's essentially what I've been striving for is like that wholeness and um, complete happiness and fulfillment that is not tied um, to a monetary aspect. Mm. And the last question is, Ron, if, if you were the president of the United States, what's the first thing you would do? Oh, my gosh. But, like, who actually wants to be the president? <laughs> um, I'm not sure anyone actually wants to be the president at this point. But one of the things I'm really, really passionate about um, is really just the way that we manufacture our food. And so this is going to sound, like, super provocative. But I think the first thing I would do is probably dismantle the Food and Drug Administration because I genuinely don't feel that food and, and the way we produce food and the way that we produce drugs should be tied together. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, very, that's very, very interesting. I've, I've never heard that take, uh, but I love that take. So we're, we're done with that. Uh, I, I, every person that ever comes to the show is a culture change agent in their own right. And I always end the show off with this. If you could change one thing about society, most specifically our African-American culture, what would it be and why? <sighs> oh my gosh. So many things, so many things. Um, you know, I think just going through my own journey this year and stuff like that, and just looking at some of the similarities amongst black families and my friends and things like that. I just want, um, I know that there are a lot of reasons why when we look back at just history, why, you know, black folks, why we operate in the mentality that we do. Um, but I do believe that we really, 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 um, we just do a disservice to ourselves when one, we're not willing to dismantle some of the psychological things that we've inherited from our ancestors and our parents and things like that. And one of the things that I think about is just this idea that um, when we think about mental health um, and being able to talk about really painful experiences from our past, like we just have to get over that. I think that a lot of our, our parents and our grandparents hold a lot of truths that we really need to understand that helps us understand our identities today. 
It also understands some of the generational curses that we have in our families, but it also allows for us to um, dismantle them and create like new ways of thinking. And I think our generation is, is definitely, you know, we are change agents for sure. And I think we, we like to go against the status quo, but there's only so much that we can do unless we really understand our history. And some of that, there, there's just a lot of stories that are untold in the black community. And so I just, if, if there's one thing I could hope for, it's that everyone continues to live in their truth and practice, practice honesty and, and be okay with being uncomfortable. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Nah, that's a phenomenal thing. And, uh, as we close this show, first and foremost, I want to say, uh, thank you for giving us well over an hour of your time as you process your move from Seattle. I, 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 I sincerely appreciate it, Jazz. Of course. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm super excited about this. I, I feel like I've been saying no to a lot of things, but this is one thing that I was definitely really excited about doing. How can everybody keep in touch with you and find out more about what you're doing and stay involved uh, with the Sassy Jazz? <laughs> yes. So um, I'm definitely super easy to find on LinkedIn. Um, I think actually I might just be on there as like Jasmine F. But um, if you do do a Google search of just Jasmine Farah, F as in Frank, A-R-A-R, you will definitely find me on LinkedIn. Um, I don't have any connections to my social profiles, but I am pretty, um, I'm usually like very active on Instagram. And uh, my name there is The Sassy Jazz. (laughs) Um, And so I definitely love to meet new people and engage with them. And obviously, if there's anyone that hears this message and they're going to be in the San Francisco Bay Area, please look me up, scouting for new friends as well. (laughs) (laughs) I got some, I got some. (laughs) I got some good for Oak San Francisco. I don't know. It's the wild, wild west out there. Yeah. <laughs> pass them along. Pass them along. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, but I'm pretty sure I know for a fact you will have no problem finding that. But that being said, thank you once again for being on the show. Minority Trailblazer Nation. I need you to do three things. Not two things this time. Three things. One, make sure you leave a five-star review. Number two, make sure if you are pushed by this episode, share it with a friend. And number three, number three, number three, get ready for the tour, man. <laughs> y'all do your thing, man. Love y'all, man. And always continue to change the freaking culture. Good night.